Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. Uh, Today, I am thrilled to have uh, Kelsey Kerr as a guest on the podcast. Kelsey, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Uh, Yeah, my name is Kelsey, and today I'm connecting with you on the traditional territory of the White River First Nation in Beaver Creek, Yukon. Uh, It's one other part of it. It's the most westerly community in Canada. So it's the last place you can drive through before you hit Alaska. Uh, I'm a speech language pathologist and the president of the Yukon Speech Language Pathology and Audiology Association. And I work for the Yukon First Nation Education Directorate, which provides support and services to Indigenous learners, zero to 19, mostly in Yukon communities. Thank you, Kelsey. And so our listeners are already gathering that you're not directly, you're the first guest on the podcast who's not directly employed by a school board. Um, But can you just describe your employment setting a little bit more, uh, particularly how it connects with uh, school-age children and maybe a little bit about the resources, who you work with, other speech and language pathologists, what your setup is? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the mobile therapeutic unit um, has a portion of allied health providers. So there's myself and another SLP. We have an occupational therapist, educational psychologist, behavioral consultant, and a psychomotor therapist. And our role is to reduce the need for families to bring their children into Whitehorse in order to reserve, or receive allied health services, and as well just build connections, build relationships. Um, we've noticed that some families at times can be hesitant to reach out when they are unsure if their child is on um, what their developmental path is. And so we try to come into communities, spend time. Uh, like for example, this week I'm out at a culture camp. So definitely providing speech language services looks very different from any other job that I have. And I've noticed that it's a really beautiful way to see families and see children much differently, to see them in their environment, in their spaces, and to see how they support their children's strengths and not necessarily focus on the things that they're not able to do just yet. And it's, yeah, it's been extremely rewarding. And We uh, work very closely with both the Department of Ed, which has two speech language pathologists, and the Child Development Center, uh, which have six. And um, what we've noticed is that it's very difficult for them to be able to get out to the communities on a more regular basis to be able to build those stronger relationships with parents, just because their caseloads are so huge Mm -hmm. and they're stretched very thin. And so we're really here to try and 
foster the relationship building and help parents connect with those services as well. Uh, it's been really amazing to see how well-connected the speech-language pathologists in the territory in different organizations are, and that we are never, we're always working together and having the child or the family as the center and trying to get them the most services that they can and the best services that they can, and really working together in terms of what is it that you can, are you capable of doing and what is it that I am capable of doing and really collaborating. Right. Cassie, that it sounds so fascinating. And I'm going to ask you just a couple more brief questions about the setting, just uh, because it sounds so interesting. And then, you know, we'll move on to your particular challenges. But what's the geography that you might travel in a unit like that? I guess Beaver Creek is about a five, six hour drive from Whitehorse. Um, one of my colleagues, she flies into a fly-in only community, which is above the Arctic Circle. Even for our day trips, the closest community I go to is about an hour and a half one way. Um, so it, it's, and there, there's no public transportation between the communities into Whitehorse, and unless you can connect with your, with the First Nations government, they do have weekly bus shuttles that will bring people in. Yeah, it's not easy. It's definitely also not easy in the winter months, which <laughs> is a major portion of our year up here, uh, just due to it being darker, the snow, um, driving conditions aren't always that great. It's And then if you, you know, get temperatures below minus 30, it then becomes extra risky. And, you know, if, you're, if you get a flat or your car breaks down, every day seems to be an adventure up here. Right. <laughs> and is your service a publicly funded service? Uh, yes, majority of the funding comes from the federal government, either through Indigenous Services Canada or uh, Jordan's Principal. And so could you talk a little bit more? How does someone come to your caseload from your Department of Ed speech pathologists, the other ones you mentioned? I would say it's a variety of um, referral sources. Uh, the Child Development Center speech language pathologists are really great at um, supporting families to get referrals in, especially when their child is transitioning into kindergarten. Support workers within the First Nations government uh, teachers and principals, learning assistance teachers within the schools. And then sometimes even just when um, when we're in the community and we're at a community gathering and just chatting with people and then they're like, oh, my kid's not really talking yet. And then the parent kind of um, self-refers that way too. Right. But you see school-aged children. Um, and uh, is there some way that you figure out between your Department of Ed SLPs and you how to uh, split up the, the kinds of communication needs that you might be all being asked to see? When you say, well, their caseloads are high, I'm a fr I'm I would think you would be also swamped. <laughs> uh, yes, it's typically, it's not necessarily like, oh, you guys, um, you handle the ones who maybe require direct therapy for, say, speech sounds. I think what it is more so is that, all right, we both have the same child on our caseload. They're able to, say, train a an assistant, an educational assistant to be able to provide a therapy program. And what I can do is really connect with parents. Um, sometimes parents, again, I've had many conversations when it's, they get a referral consent form sent to them and they're just like, well, why, 
why does my child need to have therapy for this speech sound? I don't see anything wrong with them. So it could be, I can take the time um, to connect with them and explain to them, like, what does therapy look like and why it would be important for their child to receive it. Um, Just, and just like hear and take time to hear their concerns a little bit more. Um, And then sometimes because I can get out more frequently to the communities, I could ask the Department of Ed SLP, do you want me to follow up with the education assistant? Do you want me to see how they're doing in therapy and kind of collaborate more so in that way of being like, I'm your eyes and ears on the ground. Um, If it's something, for example, like a, a student needs a iPad with a communication app on it, I would then talk to the department help that referral go into the Department of Ed SLP and have them provide the iPad and then talk to the family in regards to how it's being used. Would they be interested in getting a device for home? Um, And again, just be able to provide that direct modeling to the education team within the school, just because I'd be able to get out there on a more weekly basis. Um, Right. So yeah, I think that's kind of how yeah. How the two of us work is that we can be the people who go out more frequently and we can, mm-hmm. you know, send them back information. Um, so that way they can just either stay on top of it or if there's something that they can provide from their bank of resources, mm-hmm. um, kind of help each other out that way. Yeah. It's a real investment in the community, it sounds yes. like. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. That's very interesting. Um so uh, you mentioned already that you uh, across those groups that uh, you work uh, closely together. And I think, you know, recently you, you've you've uh, in that work, you've begun to um, work maybe be even more in touch and then um, noticing some particular challenges in that area. Do you want to talk about that, Kelsey? Yeah. Um, so back in 2020, the Yukon First Nation Education Directorate was formed. Um, And soon after that, they formed the mobile therapeutic unit. And on that team came SLPs. And at at first they had hired three and they all were from out of the territory. And because of how things had been working here already, um, just in terms of collaborating and our communication to be able to figure out, okay, Let's make sure we're not reduplicating services. And when I said we, um, that's the Department of Ed, um, speech language pathologists, and then the private providers too, um, just to make sure we weren't overlapping or reduplicating or making a recommendation that wasn't in line with a recommendation that was just provided by someone else. Mm. Uh, we decided to all meet as kind of the school age speech language pathologists just to talk about um our organizations, the services that we provide, where we were finding that there were gaps in service delivery. And that one thing that was really being brought up by the uh, student support services, um, SLPs was literacy. So they were noticing that they were getting referrals for language assessments. And the main concern was not at, um, re- at reading grade level. Um, And they were also noticing that they were bound, I guess, by the Department of Ed's um, literacy um, instruction intervention mandates that they then weren't able to instruct teachers on what they should be doing in the classrooms in terms of providing 
evidence-based literacy instruction because it was in opposition to what the Department of Ed was providing. Mm-hmm. And through that, we we're like, okay, well, what, what can we do? How can this new organization, is that something that they can kind of spearhead? And at the time, it really noticed it wasn't, it shouldn't just be one organization or one entity, but rather it should be our professional association. Oh, right. Oh, that, that's interesting. And, and let's dive into the to the problem in a little bit more depth, and then we'll come to how you guys address that. So um, so in this, this work you were all doing together, literacy became really an area um, that you noticed was an overarching concern, I think, uh, and really consuming a lot of the time and services. Was that true for your own caseload as well, Kelsey? Did you notice it as well? Yeah, so I noticed um, at that time I was working at a private clinic. And so this is probably about spring 2021. So, you know, we'd just come through a year of the COVID pandemic. We had school closures early in 2020. And then um, in the Yukon, kind of every time there was an outbreak at a school or a school identified, that school would then be closed for about a week to two weeks and there are many schools where it just seemed to be constantly happening Mm -hmm. um I guess the unfortunate thing of winter in the Yukon is you're kind Mm -hmm. of stuck indoors Mm -hmm. um and so I was actually getting a lot of referral from parents who are living in Whitehorse and were non-First Nations coming and being like my child's in grade three I've kind of noticed that they're still struggling with reading I would do a screener on them and some of the things that were really red flag for me was that they typically didn't know all of the letter sounds. They didn't, they weren't able to decode words when they would be reading a passage that they hadn't seen before and didn't have a picture to go alongside it, that there were some words that they very easily um, could read that were high frequency words like is and was and the, but when it came to say like a name like Steven that they might never had seen before is that they would guess they would see the first letter they go and then it would be something completely different Mm -hmm. um and and then that's when I was noticing that probably these children had then having conversations with their parents being like oh did they get any extra reading support in school and they would tell me that they had been in reading recovery Mm -hmm. and um that's something that maybe we'll delve into as we go through um what our advocacy efforts have been here right Uh, so just be, uh, just stop you there for just a moment, Kelsey, and just ask you. So you were, and I think um, uh, you were finding, uh, and, you know, so many of our colleagues have, have talked about this too, is that uh, the literacy was beginning to take over your caseload in some ways. And so you were not able to get to those that really require um, very specific speech and language knowledge. Is that what you were observing? Yeah, and it's definitely um, something that we were noticing in, you know, the Department of Ed SLPs that we're in constant, you know, if we're talking about anything of saying, oh, I wish I could spend more time with this student with AAC. Um, I wish that we could have language groups. Um, You know, the students that definitely have apraxia of speech, voice disorders. Uh, The Department of Ed was even getting referrals for swallowing. Um, So it was just kind of these things that really require our specialty area skills that were kind of getting shifted towards literacy. And 
I graduated um, from my program in 2018. And I can remember, I don't remember ever learning about how a speech language pathologist can support literacy development Mm -hmm. and literacy instruction. And so for me, it was like trying to figure out being like, okay, because I thought that was something that classroom teachers, you know, would have a handle on. That was their area. They were the ones that would teach reading. Um, so that was kind of then learning about that. Oh, what does what does a teacher learn when they go through teachers college mm-hmm. about reading and how children develop the skills to be able to learn to read? Right. Yes. So that, and, you know, because we have that literacy is language is literacy, right? Or language is literacy is language. Um, we know about these strong connections for sure. Um, you were concerned about the, you know, the, the amount essentially of literacy difficulties that you were seeing and you pinpointed the curriculum, right? The, the, the uh, territory curriculum as being problematic. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your concerns regarding the curriculum uh, at the time? Yeah. Uh, So the Yukon uses the BC curriculum. Um, I think the decision to do that is probably just due to uh, the personnel capacity here. There's about 40-ish thousand people that live in the territory. Um, We always say there's more moose than people. Uh, So it's just, don't want to say easier, but something that's already been made and being used uh, so we follow that. Uh, but there is an agreement that the Yukon can localize that curriculum. So instead of maybe teaching about BC First Nations, we can talk about the Yukon First Nations um, here. And part of the BC curriculum is using um, what's called balanced literacy. And as well, the supports that are within that is called the three-tier queuing system. So The idea of balanced literacy is that if you were to expose a child to reading, expose them to books, read to them, have them read to themselves, have them read to a friend, uh, that they will naturally pick up the ability to read. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of aligns with the idea that, well, that's how we learn to talk and that's how we learn language when in reality it's not how we our brains are not wired to learn to read our brains are wired to learn to learn language and to use language but it's not the same way with reading what should be used and what we've been advocating for is the use of structured literacy so systematic oh maybe i'll yeah just maybe we'll just i think you've done a lovely job of um uh, you know, describing the the balanced literacy and and what um, what the concerns are with that, um, and so I think because you know you because of your real concerns that 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 sort of tier one service, that sort of classroom service, um, wasn't laying the groundwork and maybe was a factor in what mm-hmm. was happening in your caseloads. You wanted to take on some work to change that. Right. Yeah. And some advocacy work. Um, And how where did that end up? I know it it ended up with you in the as the the president of the association. But you want to talk a little bit about how you just placed that and got it started. Yeah. So it was at our fall 2021 AGM. At the time, I was the treasurer. Um, We didn't have an advocacy committee at the time or even years previous to that when I had become part of the association. 
and so I presented the idea of forming an advocacy committee and for our focus to be uh, to be on advocating for evidence-based literacy instruction and intervention within Yukon schools. And alongside that, also that um, to increase the amount of speech language pathologists within the Department of Ed mm-hmm. to create more positions. And it was agreed upon by everyone, especially when we described what was happening within the classrooms with how children are being taught to read. So even those that were working at the Child Development Center and those that were working uh, with adults um, were also agreeing like, oh yes, that that needs to stop. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, we just had a few meetings um, with those that were on the advocacy committee. So we had Two members that were from the Department of Ed were on it. There was myself, um, another private uh, speech language pathologist, and then two from the Yukon First Nation Education Directorate, all sitting on the advocacy committee. Um, and we just started meeting just to discuss, like, okay, what are the current practices? What's the research telling us? Uh, what's our kind of, what do we foresee as being our plan, our, our kind of next steps? Um, and starting to gather we knew that if we were to tell the department of education they needed to change that they were going to ask us change to what and Mm -hmm. so we started gathering okay what you know available programs are out there um which ones would are available in order to support that evidence-based practice and then we got a rather surprising email like it wasn't something we were searching for um so it was in December we got a request to comment on the auditor general's review of education in the Yukon and that's the the Canada auditor general so the the national association got that request we did. Yeah. Our, mm-hmm. our our territorial association. Right. Oh, yes, uh, got the, the territorial. Re- Sorry. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Uh, so in the Yukon, because we're a territory, we get, our government gets a lot of funding directly from Canada. And so they then do a review on, say, mental health services, affordable housing, and education. And so what was found in the Auditor General's report in 2019 was that no change had happened since the previous one. 10 years prior, that there were educational gaps between First Nation students and non-First Nation students, that there were educational gaps between rural and urban students, and the Department of Education didn't know why. They weren't taking steps towards trying to determine why there were gaps. Um, And as well, that they didn't know if the interventions and recommendations that their specialists were providing were even working or even being done. Mm -hmm. And so we were asked to comment on how well we thought the Department of Ed was progressing on those issues. And so we provided a letter. It's called the Standing Committee on Public Accounts. Um, And it's the official opposition leader. So currently right now we have a liberal government and um, the conservative government is the official opposition. And so that's where we finally got to kind of bring speech, language, and literacy into the legislature. Uh, Yeah, so that was, um, that was very exciting. And so they had their um, first uh, meeting on that um, in January 2022. And it was very clear to us when our, the concerns we brought up in our letter 
that it was the um, assistant deputy minister that was being questioned. And it was very clear that um, didn't seem like she really knew what speech language pathologists can do within an education setting. And it wasn't very clear that she understood why the use of um, balanced literacy was not working for all UConn students. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gave us a little bit more, I don't want to say drive, but it kind of gave us like a little bit more of a clear, like, okay, this is maybe what we need to be focusing on is um, connecting with the opposition leaders to kind of let them know this is what's happening. This is what a speech language pathologist can do kind of to educate them on our role and also what we've been seeing in Yukon schools. And so we met with them in uh, March of 2022. And that was because it was after the Ontario Human Rights Commission's uh, Right to Read inquiry report came out. Uh, That was kind of one thing that we were waiting to see what their recommendations would be, what their findings would be, so that we can then refer to it in any kind of meetings uh, that we were going to have. And as well in February 2022 was when the First Nation School Board in the Yukon was formed. Um, So in the Yukon, there were only two school boards. There's the Francophone School Board and now the First Nation School Board. And other than that, it's the territorial government um, that has control over the other Yukon schools. So in terms of curriculum, any localization of the materials, um, any recommendations in terms of this is how you're going to teach literacy or numeracy, it's the territorial government. There's not that kind of more localized um, control over schools uh, currently. And so in March 2022, we got to meet with um, the leader of the conservative government, as well as the education critic, and with the leader of the NDP, just kind of to tell them, hey, this is what we're looking to get your support for. And um the Conservative Party was really receptive to hear what we had to say, and were really, I'm going to say shocked when we told them how literacy was being taught in schools, and um, brought our questions to debate in the legislature. So uh, Scott Kent, who's the education critic, he would connect with me in terms of, he's like, this is you know, just asking for assistance in terms of reviewing the questions that he was going to ask. He's like, am I using the right wording? Is this what's actually what I should be asking? And the thing that um, they kind of just laid out very, like, very easily to me is that we can question how they're using the budget. So funding-wise, money-wise. So how does this all tie in? And so it was, well, the, you know, they were using the Fountas and Pinnell program that costs a lot of money, reading recovery, training teachers, that costs a lot of money. Um, You know, having your speech language pathologists, uh, not students not being able to access them on a timely basis when they need it and to be able to get them for all the knowledge that they can provide, like they're, they can't, they can't do it that Mm -hmm. we're, you know, like students aren't receiving the services that they actually need. Um, So those were kind of the things that we shared with them and they did a really great job. Um, Again, questioning the minister of education. And again, we noticed that in her answers were either very general, it was very glossed over 
there was one time she used our acronym, you know, that SLP acronym, but named it as a student learning plan. Mm -hmm. So again, kind of noticing that the, the politici politicians in charge still weren't very clear on what a speech language pathologist is and what our role is and what's happening in Yukon schools. So mm -hmm. at the same time that we were trying to connect with the opposition leaders, we were also emailing, you know, the minister, deputy minister, anyone within the education department who we could talk to, but at that point, like had never re really received a response back. Mm -hmm. um, and then what's our timeline here? Can I just check in, Kelsey? Where, where are we at? Uh, we, are, we are spring 2022. Mm -hmm. Okay. So really still er early days of our advocacy work. Mm -hmm. And then in, um, Another piece that we were really waiting for, and I'm really, really grateful for one of my colleagues at the Department of Ed. Uh, he loves research. <laughs> he loves picking it apart. He loves to refer to the evidence and look at the statistics. And so he really played a big part in explaining, you know, being able to explain it to me so I could then write it in, in a way that someone who's not a speech language pathologist could understand. Um, he knew when research was coming out and he was like, oh no, we need to wait until April because a study against reading recovery is coming out. Mm -hmm. And then that's the next time that we need to like do the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so in April, 2022, there was a very large longitudinal study about the effects of reading recovery that came out, which actually showed that there is there are negative impacts of reading recovery for students mm. that took it, had it early in their education career. So grade kindergarten, grade one, that when they were in grade four, actually their reading ability had decreased. Mm -hmm. They were no longer yeah. at grade level. They were below grade level. And majority of Yukon schools, it's not mandated to use reading recovery, but most learning assistant teachers are trained in that way mm. and aren't trained in any other sort of reading intervention. Right. right. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to move on to, you know, what the what what you've what you've accomplished uh, yeah. with, with all that work that you've been doing. You can sum up some more of that and maybe talk about, you know, what impact you think you've had with that work. Uh, well, what then happened after that was that I sent we I then sent another email in during speech and hearing month last year. And basically spammed the entire Department of Ed of anybody's email that I could find on the website that seemed to be anything to do with curriculum, was a director, was a manager, was a minister. Mm -hmm. And that was when I finally got a response back yeah. directly from someone from the Department of Ed. And then that fall, again, I met with the director of curriculum and assessment and the manager of student support services, again, to lead our case about literacy instruction and intervention. And then a few months after that, they informed me that they were forming a culturally responsive literacy working group uh, that would then meet, start meeting early 2023. And the idea of that was that it would be not just people within the Department of Ed, but interested parties outside of it, that it would include um, rural schools that would in 
include representation from Yukon First Nations. And from there, we met on a monthly basis to talk about literacy, what needs to change. And by June 2023, we came out with recommendations that were then going to get presented to the Minister of Education. Uh, And then just this fall in September, those recommendations came out, which then stated that there would be a shift in literacy instruction and intervention in the Yukon going towards a structured literacy approach. Oh, wow. (laughs) Give me a clap there. So that's really just been very recent that that announcement has been made. Wow. (laughs) What an accomplishment. Yeah, um, it's still at a point where you know, there's no real timeline that's been right. laid out. Mm-hmm. They did tell us in the our last working group meeting that there would then be sub work sub subcommittees because they still don't have like this is these are the resources we're providing. This is the training we're providing to our teachers. So it's still very early, and it's still um, I think still needing to be for us to watch and for us to still poke them every now and then and keep an eye on how things progress from here. Well, it sounds like you're a champion at that. (laughs) (laughs) And that your perseverance uh, really paid off. I think that's a great lesson in advocacy um, because it's discouraging sometimes, right? When you send something out and you get no reply and, uh, but it sounds like your perseverance, you know, paid off and the, the work of your group uh, has had a, an impact. And I, I get that it's only just one turning point and that it still represents a whole lot of work from here. But um, it's the beginning of something great, I certainly hope. Yes, we do, too. And it's and it's definitely finding, you know, your your champions that can bring things into the legislature that can bring things to the table and it's finding a way to connect with them in a way that they that it clicks um and so i think definitely for both of um for both um the leader of the official opposition and scott kent they both have children and for one of them he he was like yeah it was a struggle for my kids to learn to read mm-hmm. and so i think it it is trying to find find a personal connection to what it is that you're advocating for. Mm-hmm. I think you've, you've, you've had more than a provincial or territorial impact there. Uh, you've you've uh, been able to influence those national politicians and. Uh, oh, not, know, not, yet. not, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. No, no. Um, we have had um, the association in Northwest territories reach out to us to ask how, how did you do this? Right. And so, yeah, so we've helped them in terms of like, here's all the research that we've kind of gathered and sifted through. Here's, um, you know, the letter that we sent supporting the Ontario human rights uh Right to read report is up on our website. Um, and yeah, well, that- kind of just like kind of laid out for them. Like these are the steps that we took and you just got, you just got to keep, keep plugging away. Well, there you go. That's a growing impact for sure. Mm-hmm. Kelsey, I want to thank you so much. And we can include the link to the National Association where your letter is, or the Territorial Association Territorial. where your letter is, yeah. on uh, on the, the notes uh, from the podcast. That will be great. We're going to wind up now. And I just want to, you know, finish up the podcast with something outside of speech pathology. Can you tell us about once one of your, your favorite outside of work activities? 
my favorite outside of work activities is to go for very, 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 very long trail runs. <laughs> what kind of long are we talking about there? Uh, well, this past summer, I ran a 54 kilometer trail race in Kimberley, BC. <laughs> what does so. a trail race look like? Is it lots of up and down? Or... It's, it's a lot of going up a mountain and then going across the top of the mountain and then coming back down and then going up another one and going across and coming back down. <laughs> wow. So again, that, that perseverance yeah. <laughs> comes back out. All over your life. And uh, that's fun for you, Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, I. It's very um, meditative. For me, it's probably the one very few activities in which my brain um, shuts off that I'm not wheels aren't spinning ideas aren't in there um, where I can just focus on really being present. And, you know, it's you get really great views, you get to eat great snacks. Um, and yeah, you usually meet really great people and have really long conversations or sometimes just be in complete silence. Wow. Well, that, that sounds pretty amazing for you to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Lovely. Kelsey, thank you so much for your conversation today and for telling everyone about uh, the work that you're doing and the successes you've had there in the Yukon. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host, Lisa Archibald, at larchiba at uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and other channels.